for club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it full of psychopaths who believe in eugenics it's an evil club and you ain't in it all right welcome everybody this is the reality czar's podcast and we're your hosts nate and tony hello and tonight we have a really awesome interesting guest on her name is Kay. is that what you want to go by yes that's fine okay and Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so I am a pro-life activist. I've been a pro-life activist for almost eight years now. Um, it's how I got my start in politics. And I've been doing political and social activism ever since then. Um, there's a number of issues that I'm super, super passionate about. But I always come back to pro-life activism as kind of my niche. Um, I'm a wife. I'm a mom of two small children. Um Probably the most interesting fact about me is I'm actually one of 16. I have 16 siblings. Wow. I like it. Um, where, um, what order are you? I, um, which, um, like what number are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually you? only the second. I have one older sibling and all of my other siblings are younger than me. That's interesting. So you almost grew up as like a parent. I did. I learned a lot of things before. My husband and I got married really, really young. I was only 20 whenever we got married, and I already knew how to do a lot of stuff. I knew how to tend to a house whenever we had our kids. I had already learned how to change a diaper and take care of a child. So it was it was definitely a really, really great learning experience growing up, learning how to do all of those things before actually having to do them by yourself. So normal people don't have 16 kids. So I'm going to ask you, what flavor of crazy were your parents? In a <laughs> well, <No>. my mom, <laughs> has she has 14 altogether. And then um, my dad, uh, my older brother is my only full-blooded sibling. Mm. So my parents divorced and my dad went and had kids with my stepmom. And then my mom and my stepdad have 12 together. Wow. Um, they're, uh, they're fundamental Baptists. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask if they're like part of the quiverful movement or something like that. One of those. <laughs> okay. That's neat. Um, are you currently, do you consider yourself a Christian? Uh, no, I actually, um, I now identify as a pagan. Actually, I am I'm a pagan. I'm actually a practicing witch right now. Um, my husband also grew up uh, in a very similar religious background and now no longer considers himself religious. We kind of went on that deconstructing journey together, which was it was really it was a really interesting journey to take with your partner in life. Um, but yeah, neither one of us identify with a Christian label anymore. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about paganism. I have a, a f- a friend that calls herself a druid and I like, I don't know. It's interesting. So maybe I'll ask some questions. Um, but so tell me you started like a movement. You started like a, like a group or a, is this well, like a progressive movement that's pro-life? Yeah, um, I wasn't the person that started it. So it was um, started by Teresa Bukovinak. Um, she's pretty well known in like the pro-life activism community. Um, she started an organization in San Francisco known as Pro-Life San Francisco and has since uh, handed that off to um, another pro-life activist uh, named Kristen Turner, who runs it now. And now she came over to the East Coast and wanted to start this organization. It's um, called POW. It's uh, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. And it's a it's a pro-life organization. It's an anti-abortion organization um, meant for people like me that don't really fit into the narrative of what a pro-life activist should be. Because um, there's actually quite a few of us that are more progressive, more left-leaning atheists, you know, um, vegans that don't really fit into 
the mold that is set for us in more traditional pro-life spaces. Um, and she did this because not only did she want to challenge that narrative, like we're not all a bunch of old religious <laughs> white dudes, um, but also she wanted to create an organization that was going to directly challenge um, the Democratic Party's stance on abortion. And that's pretty much what we are all about. Hell yeah. I mean, I, how, how many fucking bomb threats was that lady getting? Like she started a pro-life organization, a progressive pro-life organization in San Francisco. I'm shocked that building didn't get burned to the ground. Yeah, and they're actually, they're doing really, really well. Um, they do a lot of local and community outreach. Um, you know, they're in their communities helping women that are facing unplanned pregnancy, helping families that are in hard times that need a leg up, you know, really just kind of putting your money where your mouth is whenever it comes to pro-life activism. Um, so when Teresa came to me and she's like, I want to start a new organization, I was 100% on board because she very much is one of those people that she doesn't just, you know, talk the talk, you know, she walks the walk. So what does that entail exactly? Like, you know, would you um, set people up with resources or just, is it more counseling or just to get a handle on it? Uh, well, right now, um, the organization is very new. We're only a few weeks old. We launched on October 1st. Um, we have about, whenever we first started, we had about $1,000 between us. Um, we don't have any donors right now. Uh, so right now, we're really just trying to get established. We're trying to get our 501c3 um, all to put together. Um, but whenever the organization really does get up and running, the main purpose of it is going to be being in uh, Teresa lives in Washington, D.C., so we'll be doing a lot of activism, you know, trying to get the attention of members of the Democratic Party and be like, hey, you know, your position on abortion doesn't align with your base. You know, overwhelming over 70 percent of Democratic <clears throat> voters believe in restricting abortion to the first trimester. Meanwhile, the DNC's official stance on it is abortion up till birth for any reason. Um, so we're really just trying that. to get the atten yeah, <laughs> attention of not just politicians, but getting the word out to Democratic voters. Like, you don't have to be a Republican to be pro-life. You don't have to be right-leaning to be pro-life. You can be as far left as the left goes and still be pro-life. And it very much is in line with the progressive stance of nonviolence, non-discrimination, equality for all human beings or all living creatures, really. We have several people um, in our organization that are vegan and animal rights activists also. Um, so you, this isn't like a one size fits all. You can have all of these different opinions and still be pro-life. And we want to get that message across to people because there are so many people that sit on the fence in the issue of abortion because they think that pro-lifers are just a bunch of old white politicians that are looking to control women's body and like usher in the handmaid's tale mm -hmm. when that could not be further from the truth. Um, but ideally, we would like to be involved. There are so many pro-life organizations that provide resources, both on a national scale and locally. Um, and so we do want to continue working with those organizations to get so that women are getting that help that they need. Um, whether or not this organization specifically will take that up, because there's so many other pro-life organizations doing it, it's probably not. But we are still involved with those organizations that are doing that. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm I think that it's really, um, I think it's really, uh, I'm, my, my words aren't coming to me right now. I'm fucking exhausted. <laughs> I think it's really honorable what you guys are doing. You guys are, uh, creating an alternative for, for some, for some people, because like, I know in, um, 
my hometown, the only place that you were going to get something like that was going to be some, somewhere like uh, they had, what is the opposite of Planned Parenthood? They had these like, uh, like crisis pre- pregnancy centers. Yeah, exactly. And they were all run by the church. And they're all like really sweet, great people, but like not everybody identifies with that and not everybody's like comfortable with that. And, you know, and they're going to probably be like soft preaching to you on the side while they're giving you stuff. Um, But so I think also I think that it's really honorable what you guys are doing as far as like I have so much respect for people that will break the mold. Because, like, I I see the whole progressive movement and the whole uh, democratic movement, and they have become more and more and more radical on, on abortion. And it's – to me, that is, like, a hard line in the sand for me, you know? Um, yeah. And I just – I could never, ever vote for someone that was going to be, you know, like, push uh, – anyways, I don't vote anyways because I'm a weirdo, but I wouldn't vote for someone that was – that was pro-abortion and um it's so fascinating and so cool to me to see people that are willing to stand up and like take a stand and like say look i'm a progressive or i'm a democrat or i'm a leftist and i support you know i like i i'm pro-life and i love you know i'm anti-abortion and that's that's crazy i mean i when i heard this i was like i i gotta talk to this person yeah, it's, you know, it's so funny how many people have accused us of, like, astroturfing since we started this organization. That's probably the number one accusation that has been thrown our way. Like, this is a PSYOP. Like, this is a government PSYOP. Like, this isn't real. <laughs> um, This is, like, a Republican Christian youth group that, like, put this together. And, it, like, this is just a huge astroturf. Like, they're just trolling <laughs> us at this point. It's like, no, like, we're really not. <laughs> like, we're legitimately who we say we are. Like, we are... We are left-leaning. We are left of center on the political spectrum. We agree with you on almost every other issue that is presented politically and socially. You know, this idea that the progressive platform stands on with like equality specifically for human beings, equality across the board for all human beings. And we're just like, so can like we get some of that equality for unborn human beings, maybe? Yeah, that's the fascinating part. They'll just I mean, they will like literally fight tooth and nail for an immigrant, which I think is great. But then for a baby, they're like, that's a clump of cells. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And I think that the reason why we have angered so many people to the point of getting, we have gotten coverage in besides the United States. I think it's three separate countries that have already covered us on their news outlets. Um, We've, in a very, very short time span, gotten a lot of coverage because people are so incredibly angry. And I think that the reason why you see so many people on the left being so incredibly angry is because their narratives fall apart whenever it comes to people like me and people like Teresa and people that are part of this organization. You can't just look at us and say that we're trying to impose our religious ideology onto you because majority of people in this organization are atheists you know they can't say that it's just a bunch of men wanting to control women because the majority of us are women you know it's their narrative begins to fall apart and there's nothing that they can do but argue with us on the principle of the issue which is and fetuses are human beings they lose and they need to be protected. that argument every time and that's why they try to pigeonhole you into a different argument it's exactly yeah, exactly um No, I find it fascinating um, how, I mean, again, I came from a left progressive, like I was a, I was pretty fucking progressive. I was, I considered myself a leftist, a soft socialist, I guess, whatever you want to call it. 
and uh, um, the conformity that they demand was one of the biggest things for me. Also, just the blatant hypocrisy and like the flip flopping. To me, there was absolutely no consistency. Like we would believe one thing this day. And like, I actually believed that I was fucking anti-war. You know what I mean? I was anti-imperialist. I was fucking, I was pro-immigrant. I was like, you know what I mean? I was anti-racist. And then on a dime, they would fucking flip it real fast. And, you know, about whatever it is like, oh, well, this week we have to defend this war and it's okay if Obama does it. You know, all these, all these fucking things that like actually made me go libertarian in a lot of ways. Like I, um, I'm fascinated by your journey. Um, why don't you, do you want to start from the beginning? So you, you said, uh, you grew up homeschooled. Yes, I grew up in a very traditional, fundamental Republican conservative household. Um, I was homeschooled um, a few years in elementary school. And then whenever I was in the going into the eighth grade, my mom pulled me completely um, and I was homeschooled and I graduated from homeschooling. Um, and I identified with that label into my activism. I mean, I started activism back in 2014 and for a really long time, I identified as a traditional conservative Republican. Like I fit the mold perfectly to a T whenever you think pro-life activist, besides being a man, like that was me. And, um, I just, uh, over the years, it was just kind of little things by little things. Um, whenever I came out publicly to uh, the small base that I had grown at the time, I was running a pro-life Instagram page. I had about 5,000 followers at the time. And whenever I came out as bisexual, I lost about half of my following in the mm. course of about two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, and that was just kind of like the first step, you know, like towards the rabbit hole that has kind of propelled me left ever since. Um, from there, I found pro-life feminism which you know for someone that had actually used to unironically use the term feminism as cancer like that was a very very new world for me and it just it was just kind of one step after the other of you know going through deconstructing why i believed the things that i believed and as i deconstructed those things it just one thing after another i was moving left very very steadily um, but one opinion that always held true throughout all the transitions that I made, both politically and socially and even religiously, um, I still remained pro-life throughout all of it. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. And then, um, so for a while, you considered yourself libertarian. I'm curious about that. I did. How did yeah, you find did, libertarianism? Um... And like, like what? who brought you into that? Like who red-pilled you, I guess? And what um... took you through it? And why, why did you discontinue the label? Well, about two and a half years ago, um, I was just becoming very, very un, uninspired by right-wing politics as a whole. Um, I was getting increasingly frustrated arguing with people about like uh, gay marriage or trans issues or being inclusive or things like... Um, you know, helping out people in your community. And I felt like whenever Donald Trump entered the picture, um, the right just started to feel really, really cult-like to me. And so through that of just trying to find out where I would, where I could fit in, um, I started following a lot of people um, that I had met through right-leaning activism, but identified as libertarian. And I didn't know a whole lot about a libertarianism, so I started following all these accounts and 
started, you know, kind of trying to educate myself on what libertarians believed. And um, I stayed there for a good two years as identifying as a libertarian. And I spouted, you know, all the popular, you know, libertarian talking points. Um, but some things that I really, really struggled with all throughout those two years was a level of apathy that libertarians kind of tend to show towards what people go through on a day-to-day basis. Um, people, I would argue about the idea behind free market healthcare. It was like, okay, so we pull the government out of healthcare. What if it doesn't work? What if people begin falling through the cracks by the hundreds, by the thousands, people are dying because they can't get healthcare because the system is collapsing because we pulled the government out with absolutely no plan and nobody could give me an answer. It would just always stemmed back to the government is evil. We need to get the government out of healthcare. And it was like, but the point of healthcare is to keep people from dying. So if we don't have a plan to keep people from dying, people are going to die on massive scales. And I just kind of got met with a level of apathy that I was super, super uncomfortable with and I really, really struggled with. I struggled for a long time that the libertarian community is very pretty evenly divided on abortion and the people that are pro-life and libertarian don't push pro-choice libertarians on why they're pro-choice. It's like I'm pro-life in the name, but I don't really involve myself in that sector very much. And um, whenever everything went down in Afghanistan with the pullout and what was happening there and how incredibly apathetic the libertarians that I had followed for years and genuinely respected and looked up to, um, not caring about the suffering that was going to ensue from this, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't handle this level of just not caring about other human beings um, and not just valuing the idea of freedom over the idea of helping people. Um, Something that I always got a huge amount of pushback on is I've always been very, very pro having family leave for parents. They're like, it always like, who's going to pay for it? Who's going to pay for it? The government shouldn't be doing stuff like that. Private businesses, you know, respect the private sector, blah, 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 blah. I was like, yeah, but parents should be home with their kids. <laughs> like, so after two years of identifying as libertarian, I was just like, I'm out. I don't want to be associated with this anymore. I can't handle being a, a part of a community and a movement and a whole entire political party that genuinely just does not seem to care about other people. Well, I feel like you're talking to the wrong libertarians, honestly. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of that. And see, the whole libertarian movement is Okay, frankly, if it wasn't for autism, there wouldn't be a libertarian movement. And so, uh, and I'm probably autistic myself. Um, in a lot of different ways, that kind of makes us in, uh, argue the principles of things like this. And so we're like up here arguing about like what is right or what is this, that, and the other. And like we aren't looking down at all the, at all the things that like our arguments, all the people that our arguments would affect. Right. Because we're like, well, philosophically, this is correct, you know, and then you're like, OK, but what about all these people down here? Like the free market healthcare thing for me, I do believe in free market healthcare. I don't think there should be like a like a government involved in the in healthcare at all. But it's like the problem is with it right now is that it has to be like a slow cultural change because culture has we are so interdependent on government and we are so trained to uh, like in this poverty mindset. I really think that it is, it's from government. I think government wants us to be 
poor. They want us to be stupid. They want us to be ignorant. They want us to be, uh, they want us to be dependent in so many different ways. And so, like you said, if for like, if we snapped our fingers and we took away government healthcare, are there going to be thousands of people that just fall through the cracks? Absolutely. And that's painful. And th- those are real people. And those are people that are going to need help. And so like, to me, like, um, there's this whole like a post libertarian type of movement that uh, sometimes it goes into like the neo reactionary right kind of thing. But some people are just kind of looking at, at libertarianism and saying like, look, libertarianism has some great principles and some different like thoughts and ideas, but like practically it doesn't do anything. And we will just sit here and argue about principles, but we're not actually moving the ladder towards freedom or Liberty or like doing anything. And so like in a lot of ways, like the way I would see it is like, we would have to build these systems like from the ground up, you know what I mean? We would have to like build, uh, well, essentially what the church has been doing for years, as far as like, helping sick people, uh, building clinics for people. Like you can't just like rip the carpet out from under people. And that's what libertarians talk about. That's what like people will call the Lulberts or like the stupid, like the just like private company, bro, kind of just like whatever Murray Rothbard said. Um, but they don't actually, they never actually read Murray Rothbard. They only read a little bit, you know, uh, they're like the, they're those kind of libertarians that don't actually know the philosophical principles. They just know what they're supposed to say. And um, like, you have to, you have to build a system to replace the old system. Like if we want to get away from like state authority and state like tyranny, we have to have something that people can uh, like when the ship goes down, we have to have an alternative. We have to have a raft. You know what I mean? Like we have to have, Yeah, I agree. So, um, I think, yeah, a lot of libertarians will get, and they'll get their hackles up too when you talk about things like, well, we should have uh, parental leave or we should have this, that, and the other. And like, and the whole thing is true in a, in a way where I would say like, I, that, that's the autistic Lulbert in me that would say like, well, who's going to pay for it? Like, you think all employers should do that? And, and that is a real question. Like a mom and pop store, they probably can't afford to pay me like two weeks to like to take off with my baby. Um, and so maybe that would be a government thing. Maybe it would be the progressive answer. And I, I, you know, I don't know, but I mean, to me, it should be just like a community thing where like we, I mean, that's really where I come down to like, where I, I just think community or like, I think, uh, people just need to be taking care of each other. I'm myself. I am a Christian and I consider myself a Christian anarchist. And in, in a lot of ways that will push me and, um, where like right-wing people will call me a fucking commie or something in a lot of ways where I'm like, we have to, we have to be able to take care of each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. The way, exactly. the way I read the Bible, if you go through acts, like the, the people that were um, like the, the problem with, with uh, Christians is a lot of them don't read the Bible and a lot of them don't listen to what Jesus said. Uh, they'll cherry pick some, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a lo- so many Christians aren't Christ-like. And that's my problem with a lot of Christians, like the way that they treat homosexuals and bisexuals and everything like that. It's like, dude, where did Jesus say that? Where did Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, anyways, and I'm sorry that that was your experience. Um, and, um, and it's so many people's experience, but like, uh, 
the way that I read the Bible when I'm reading through Acts, it says like all the Christians, all the Christ followers, they sold their property, they sold their belongings, they uh, they took care of the poor, they took care of the widows. You know, that's to me that. But I mean, that's the Christian calling, not necessarily. I'm not telling everyone to do that, but yeah, I agree. I agree so wholeheartedly, and unfortunately. I had both a negative experience with libertarianism and with the Christian sector, unfortunately, because there are so many churches out there not not walking the walk, just talking the talk and barely talking the talk. You know, I was talking with my mom the other day about how, you know, several people that I grew up knowing in our church and went to our Christian school and were so involved in in Christianity. Well, now they're they're all out sporting, you know, I support Planned Parenthood tags on their Facebook profile pictures and like my mom's like it's just flabbergasted I was like but mom like outside of what you and dad told me about abortion abortion wasn't something that was talked about in church we didn't learn about that in the Christian school we didn't learn about that in Sunday school so what do you expect whenever you shelter people and you don't talk about abortion and then they go out into a world that literally shoves abortion ideology down young women's throats like what do we expect to happen here you know it's it's a sad and it's an unfortunate reality but the abortion industrial complex is getting a hold of kids in elementary school and we are trying to play catch up with them whenever they're in high school, college and young adults. So what do you think that that conformity is? What do you think, why is the left so, so like, why is that their thing? Like you guys, like, like Democrats in general, but not, but more so that like leftists and progressives are so, so, pro-choice. What do you think that is? I think that it's literally generations worth and decades worth of dehumanization and indoctrination on the part of the abortion industrial complex and the politicians that get their pockets padded by supporting the abortion industrial complex. One of the biggest issues that we face, uh, my organization in particular, with trying to confront these extremely pro-abortion politicians on the left is that for the majority of them, they don't care about abortion. Like they don't care about women's access to health care. They don't care about women empowerment. Like they care about the fact that Planned Parenthood and abortion as an I like as a whole brings in a shit ton of money. Like it's ridiculous how much money they are padding their pockets with. And the government is giving Planned Parenthood taxpayer money and then Planned Parenthood is raking in millions mm-hmm. of dollars and then taking that money and turning around and funding democratic campaigns. Um, It's just, it's a vicious cycle and it's so incredibly corrupt and abortion is literally just a money trail. You just follow the money all the way back to the end. It goes from one dead baby and into the pockets of multiple politicians that have been sitting in our, in our government for decades. And we have so many young democratic um, politicians on lower state levels and local levels that identify as pro-life Democrats because they're, their voting base, you know, the Democratic voting base does believe in at least restricting abortion. And if we get, if we're able to get more comprehensive education out about what abortion procedures look like, what did, what they do, uh, what their risks are, um, all of these things that people are so vastly uneducated in, even now in almost 2022, um, do not unknow the ins and outs of what an abortion procedure looks like. Um, 
it shows that whenever they are more educated, they even they move even more pro-life. So whenever you have 70% of the Democratic voting base thinking that we should limit abortions to the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, and then you show them a 10 or 11 week um, surgical abortion, and they're like, oh my God, like I didn't even know that that's how that happened. And they become even more pro-life. Yeah. Like maybe we shouldn't be allowing abortions at all. And that's so why people don't they, want that education out there. Be exactly what you said. The more people know about the procedure, the more people they know, know about the science and how the baby grows and like every single month, every single milestone, every like this week, they get fingernails, you know, all of those different things. The more people see that they identify, Oh my God, this is a living, breathing. This is a human being. Exactly. And you know, it's so funny because people, especially women, um, and especially post-abortive women, I can, after doing this for eight years, I can almost tell, like I would be willing to bet money to a friend like that, that person has had an abortion in their past. And I can tell by the way that they respond to me whenever they're having a conversation with me. I actually, I did, I created a video for my organization, POW, um, a couple weeks ago in response to the, uh, the Billie Eilish performance that went viral from Texas, um, where she did that performance for uh, Planned Parenthood. And it was uh, against the new Texas abortion bill. And she's talking about, you know, keep your laws off our bodies. And I just, I stitched her speech over top of, um, uh, it was not a real actual abortion. It was an animated video showing what an 11 week abortion looks like, a 11 week surgical suction abortion looks Ooh. like. And uh, somebody came into the replies on Twitter is like, you know, you showing, you're showing a fully formed fetus. Like this isn't even how abortions are done at that stage. And like walked her through, I gave her objective, um, objective sources like the Mayo Clinic. Like these aren't, these aren't pro-life sources. These are scientific clinic sources um, showing you like this is this is what a fetus looks like at 11 weeks and this is what the abortion procedure at this stage of pregnancy looks like and even after showing step by step walking her through it at the end she still told me that I was lying to her because the hardest thing whenever you've been so adamantly pro-choice and there are so many people that have pushed so hard for this so many activists supporting the abortion industrial complex I can't even imagine what it must be like having to confront the horrors that you've supported for so long. Yeah. And that's a huge hurdle that we're trying to get over. Like, I understand that this is a lot to take in, but this is the harsh reality of abortion. Well, what I find fascinating, well, like what you said too, is like um, the women that have had abortions and you can tell, like when, when they are shown this information, how devastating is that? You know what I mean? You're like, I killed my child. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's something that throughout my journey um, as a pro-life activist, you know, whenever I was first starting, um, I was very, very far right. I was actually very dangerously close to falling down the, the alt-right pipeline. Um, and I had become incredibly callous um, in seeing the horrible things that pro-choicers have said to me online or the horrible things that they say about abortion online. You know, you, it's easy to become incredibly callous and see these, these people as the, as the enemy, honestly. Like you see them as evil people that you are actively fighting against. Um, and it's something that I actually had to confront and deal with. And I had to apologize to so many people that I had gotten to know in the early stages of my activism because I started to engage with pro-life activists that were post-abortive women and hearing their stories and hearing 
the absolute just soul crushing devastation that they that was in their voice whenever they would talk about their experience with abortion and it made me realize like these these women are human yeah. beings and they're scared and they've been lied to and deceived by an industry that wants to profit off of them and that was kind of like my dive into where i found pro-life feminism and it was just like a whole new world to me because i grew up very very fundamentalist feminism wasn't something that i knew anything about um and then whenever i did learn about feminism it was incredibly radical so finding this very wholesome view of feminism and being pro-woman and seeing all of the issues that women face even in a first world country like the united states um, and being able to empathize with them and what they're going through in these situations and how horrifying it is and how terrified they are and how unhelpful these abortion clinics are to these women and young girls, young girls that are absolutely terrified and in abusive situations that aren't getting any kind of help. They're just being handed an abortion and then being left to sit out on a curb waiting for their abusive partner or their abusive parent or abusive caretaker to come and pick them up. Yeah, and I, I mean... I I like to see what you guys are doing, and I and I hope that you guys are making uh, some alternative to the fact that like what I see a lot, and uh, and these are my friends, right? Like the conservative pro lifers or whoever, um, they they're pro fetus, but like you you know what I'm saying in a lot of ways. But then it's like, what support are we giving the baby after? And also, like, they are very dismissive of, of, like, a young girl's whole, like, like, how does a fucking 13-year-old girl feel when she's fucking pregnant? Like, yes, should she have not had sex with her boyfriend? Whatever. Like, you know, they'll be like, she should have had her legs closed, that whore, you know, or something like that, you know? And it's like, uh, okay. That line. You're like, okay. Okay, but now we're here practically, right? Okay, this is a 13-year-old girl. She's pregnant. Like, what kind of support are we going to give her? Like, wh like what alternative do we have to say, don't kill that baby, bitch. You know, <laughs> like, what do we say to her? Like, what are we, what are we yeah. doing to help her in her shoes and her situation right now? Like what? And that's the big thing. Like, I feel like for me personally, and I, I can't speak for anybody else in my organization, but for me personally, like my draw to this particular organization is being someone that started out um, on the right, very, very traditional conservative, and in these incredibly traditionally conservative pro-life communities, um, I was very active with a number of very, very well-known pro-life groups and uh, working alongside and directly underneath a number of very well pro-life, very well-known pro-life public figures. Um, and as I was going through my deconstruction journey, um, I was also being confronted with the realization that there are so many people in this movement, actively in this movement, um, that are not here for the right reasons, that are looking to just make a name for themselves or are just looking to make money or are using pro-life activism to push a more personal, political, or religious agenda alongside of it. Like, yes, we care about babies, and yes, we want to see abortion ended. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're also going to talk about, you know, the trans agenda and all of these other incredibly popular political and religious right-wing talking points that actually do direct damage to trying to further the pro-life message. Um, but we're going to put our political views, we're going to put our religious opinions ahead of actually saving human lives. And um, back in 2019, I was working for an organization. Um, I had gotten 
to work alongside of a very well-known pro-life public figure um, who had who made it very clear to um, the people around me that she didn't like me. <laughs> she didn't like that I was combative. She didn't like that I questioned her on her opinions on uh, gay marriage and transgender people. And uh, even simple things like we shouldn't be try- actively trying to make birth control illegal. Women should be able to have access to birth control. They should have informed consent whenever getting birth control, but we should not be trying to prevent women from being able to access birth control. And I walked away from that organization. I quit. I was working on a volunteer basis, but I quit and I pulled out. And in the coming months, multiple people in my in my close-knit circles came to me and they're like, hey, um, so-and-so is telling other organizations not to hire you and not to work with you because you're incredibly problematic and they don't want to be associated with you anymore. So I was kind of on the fringe a little bit with pro-life activism. It didn't change my opinion on being pro-life, but I didn't really have a community of people that I could rely on and trust. And then I found other people that were on the fringe of pro-life activism and whole organizations that were more progressive and had all of these other opinions on being anti-war and anti-nuclear weapons and anti-death penalty, which was a huge thing for me whenever I was right-leaning because I was like, I don't think the state should be killing people. And um, so whenever I was given the opportunity to be a part of an organization that is specifically targeting where single issue abortion and we're specifically trying to make a space in the Democratic Party and in the progressive movement for pro-life activists because we're homeless right now and that's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay to have all of these progressive views but be alienated I mean, because you, you think that those progressive don't views don't really have a champion right, now, right? There's no big person exactly. in the Democratic Party that is like, I'm pro-life. Exactly. And whenever um, Kristen Day, who is the founder and president of uh, Democratic uh, Democrats for Life, uh, she was the person that uh, during the uh, campaign trail, she went to Pete Buttigieg's talk and called him out on his on his stance on abortion. She's like, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democratic voter. I'm a liberal. I'm a progressive. I'm a feminist and I'm pro-life. Why do I not belong in your party? Why? Why is there not a space for me in your movement? Why why is my voice not equally as important to you as someone who shares all of my values and all of my opinions except their pro-choice? Well, to kind of wrap it to what, um, around to what we were talking about earlier, I feel like this is where the idea of like libertarians coming out callous, which some of them truly are, comes from. It's like we have these political institutions that just become um, – they just follow popularity. And they don't necessarily um, they don't necessarily help anyone out in any kind of real sense because they just kind of perpetuate themselves. Like I'm trying to um, well, like, at the end of the day, that's how politicians are. And yeah, like you can you can say it for libertarians, you can say it for Democrats, and you can absolutely say it for Republicans. I mean, here we are. Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, and we've had decades worth of Republicans saying that they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade, that they're going to get rid of abortion. But at this point, it's just become a Republican talking point during every election cycle. And in between election cycles, they don't do anything to stop abortion. I mean, we have we finally have this Texas abortion bill that's been back and forth, been blocked, it's been reinstated, blocked again, reinstated again, and it's going through all of these 
these hills that they'll be going through until we overturn Roe v. Wade. But like whenever you have a Republican governor that signs a, a very, very the most pro-life law that we've had on the books since Roe v. Wade. Um, and then turn around and say that, you know, he's, you know, not going to allow transgender yeah. people uh-huh. to compete in sports or, you know, all of these incredibly popular right wing talking points right on the cusp of passing this anti-abortion bill. You know, it just it blows back on the entire movement and every effort that we're trying to make to make abortion illegal because they tie everything back to Republicans. Like, oh, they're going to outlaw abortion and then they're going to come for gay marriage. It's like, we're not coming for gay marriage. We're not like the, even the Republicans that want to overturn gay marriage, there's not enough of them to do it. Like we're not trying to do that. And there's so many pro-lifers that are not even right-leaning, much less identifying as Republicans, but because Republican politicians have used it as a talking point to get reelected over and over and over again. It's hard. It's been so hard for us to disassociate from that. Well, exactly what you were saying as far as like the there being an abortion industrial complex, there is the exact like counter uh, opposite of that, where there's all these Republicans that are like just gleaning money off of poor saps that really believe in like being pro-life and that are anti-abortion and they will just string them along and say, come on, vote for me. If you don't look what the Democrats are doing and the Democrats, they play that like to me, it's political theater and they, they play off of each other and they play off of each other's, um, off of each other's constituents, constituencies, like, uh, biggest fears. And so they will like, uh, like, that's why the Democrats have to double down on like, yes, we want all those babies dead. Uh, <laughs> and like, and the same thing with the, with the Democrat or with the Republicans. And it's like, and, and exactly like what you said before, like uh, when they make this so overly political and they make this so partisan, it actually hurts the movement and the people that are trying to do it. Like to me, like it, it was interesting, I guess, seeing Donald Trump. He was the first president ever to show up to one of those, like, uh, to the pro-life move or to the what? What's the big march? Uh, the march, yeah, the for, march life. for life. Yeah, and every person that was right of like moderate right winger was absolutely pissed about that. Well, that's the whole thing. It's like I don't think that that was good for the movement. I think that I think that probably hurt it quite a bit. That made no, every Democrat horrible. just. Their hackles rise, their feet fucking sink into the ground even further. Look, Donald Trump, you know, and yeah, yeah, it was it was bad for a number of reasons because so he came in uh, 2020. Um, the year before that, we had uh, Ben Shapiro, and oh, um, I think <laughs> yeah, and I think the year this past year we uh, highlighted um, no. It was Ben Shapiro and Mike Pence also spoke Ugh. in 2019. <laughs> and then, yeah, in 2021, because we were still in the heat of COVID, we didn't have an actual in-person march. Everything was virtual. And then they, uh, the March for Life, uh, the actual organization that puts on that event, invited, um, like hand-invited um, about 100 pro-life leaders in the movement to come and do like a ceremonial walk um that we the march that we do up to the supreme court they had uh, the quote-unquote pro-life leaders come and do that march 
Um, and at the head of that was, uh, I don't know if you know her, but her name is Abby Johnson. Um, she's a very, very well-known figure in pro-life activism. She was, uh, she has a book. She had a movie done about her. Uh, she used to work for Planned Parenthood and she left after seeing a 13 week ultrasound guided abortion. Um, and has been very, very outspoken in the pro-life movement for a number of years. But the problem is, is that she's openly homophobic, openly transphobic, and incredibly racist. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> it is. It is. And the level of, like, you know, whenever it comes to any movement, political or social, there is a level of opti- optics that you have to maintain. And Do you think um, she believes it, or it do you com- think she's playing a character? You know, she has been accused of being kind of like someone that is just coming in for the money. You know, she has done very, very well for herself. She does speaking engagements full time. You know, her husband was able to quit his job and stay home with their eight children so she could travel the country and give talks on abortion. And so she has been kind of accused of that. I don't believe that she actually is still pro-abortion and just, you know, is in it for the money. I do believe that she believes the things that she says. Unfortunately, she also believes the things that she says about supporting, um, like, uh, she did a video last year that got her a lot of backlash because she was talking about, she has an adoptive uh, half-black son. And she did a video talking about how uh, racial bias and policing is okay because of statistics and basically said that she would be okay with a cop racially profiling her son because he's going to grow up to be an intimidating black man. <laughs> and whenever, whenever you have people like this at the forefront of your movement, it's really, really bad. And whenever you have a pro-life organization inviting, oh, yes, he was the president of the United States, God. but he was probably the most controversial person to ever sit in the white house to the March for life you saw we saw about a quarter of people that came for the march for life not even go to the rally to listen to him speak i sure as heck didn't um after i did my meetups and everything um i went to the supreme court and i protested and i didn't listen to donald trump speak i wasn't part of that um because that's not what i was there for that's not what i was about and whenever you have entire streets blocked off for our march and they're absolutely covered with Donald Trump merch instead of pro-life merch and pro-life signs and everybody sporting their MAGA hats instead of pro-life activism. It's like we've completely lost touch with what we were meant to be doing. He had completely overtaken our Mm -hmm. movement at this point. And so there was a need for kind of a split there. And there was a split and you saw a huge rise up of more left-leaning progressive uh, anti-abortion organizations. See, that's unfortunate because like the March for Life... uh... In so many ways, of course, it's going to be like heavily right wing. But, you know, there is there is like there's room for people that are just pro-life. And it is unfortunate that it was so um, well turned so partisan. Um, And Donald Trump, to me, he (laughs) he is such a bastard Um, in so many different really (laughs) in so many different ways, though. like I, I find him fascinating too. Uh, the way that he was able to like co-opt the entire right-wing movement, the way he was able to co-opt the entire Republican movement, like, it, like he's a phenomenal actor. He's like, you know, I, I almost in a lot of ways I think of him as a put-up job. I don't even think of him as a real person um, because like he is so perfect in exactly what the Democrats need too. 
Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like he's the perfect, yeah. like, so in a lot of ways, I think he's like a made up person. And uh, the way he co-opted that, uh, the March for Life in that way, I also see just the painful and disgusting ways that he co-opted the Christian movement, like the evangelical movement, mm-hmm. the charismatic movement, the whole, like the whole, like a whole bunch of Christians just swallow that hook, line and sinker. And just literally like, Oh, for sure. We're like Donald Trump first, then Jesus, then America, then the police, then everybody <laughs> like, uh. but only until, you know, January 6th happened. If the police are going against us, then fuck the police. Well, good. But other than that, that was you know, my favorite thing. Blue line all the way. I, I was sitting there eating popcorn. I got a buddy that's an Ancom, uh, and me and him are both sitting there like giggling uh, just laughing, watching fascists fighting fascists. Like <laughs> I was just, I was yes, loving just it. Let them eat each other. <laughs> I was digging it so much. Was, uh. Yeah. It's so funny. It, it's honestly like, it's one of those things where if you don't laugh at it, you're going to cry because it's really so sad how easily taken over all of these, all of these movements for whenever Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016. And Going to the March for Life in 2020, knowing that he was going to be there and knowing that there were going to be people there that had absolutely no interest in being involved in pro-life activism were just there for him. And then people like me at the Supreme Court protesting um, against uh, counter-protesters that had showed up for the March for Life. And we're standing alongside abortion supporters who are chanting things like, you know, get rid of Donald Trump. And all the progressives like me are starting to chant alongside of them because it's like, yeah, we also don't like Donald Trump. And whenever it first started, we actually had a couple of abortion supporters standing next to us just staring at us because they were so incredibly confused. (laughs) But it is moments like this where, you know, it's like silver lining because that March for Life, I had more productive conversations with abortion supporters than I had ever had at any event ever because it's like, wait, like you're pro-life. Like, obviously you're a Trump supporter. Is like, I'm not a Trump supporter, didn't vote for him, have no intention of voting for him ever again, didn't vote for him the first time, didn't vote for him the second time. Like, don't like the man don't like what he stands for, don't like the fact that he's here today. Um, So we can have a conversation about that. And I wasn't even as left-leaning as I am now, Um, but that's kind of the thing that I do. Um, I get involved in these incredibly left-leaning spaces, um, particularly like on Twitch. I go on these political panels and these different channels where they're they're all left-leaning, but they want to know how someone that holds the opinions that I do can also be pro-life because it's like an anomaly. They don't know that we exist. And so whenever our our organization launched, everybody's like, there's no way that this is real. Like this is physically impossible because the abortion industrial complex has told us that this is impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that's super, super awesome because you are going to be able to reach a whole demographic that is completely untouched right now. Uh, they just, yeah. uh, they, I mean, by default, they're pro-choice. Exactly, because that's what they've been told mm-hmm. they have to be in order to be progressive. Like, you're going to be progressive. Like, I feel like most progressives started out, like, their foundation is, like, I support abortion. And, like, they moved into more liberal spaces from there and then into more progressive spaces from there. Because, like, this is, like, a foundational talking point 
on the left. And like, we really, really need to dismantle that foundation because people truly, truly are indoctrinated to believe that you cannot hold progressive values, that you cannot label yourself as left-leaning, progressive, liberal, any of it, if you don't support women's access to abortion. Yeah. I'm curious about where you stand on one and after pills or even like an herbalist, abort, like taking herbs and whatnot. Um, just because like, I feel like if we just expand the scope of what abortion is, like there's the state funded stuff, there's, you know, the 12 week, 14 week abortion. This also taking up, I just want to see what your feelings on that are. Um, for me as a pro-life activist, um, and this is something that like, this is opinion that I've had to really like personally delve into about why I felt the way that I felt about this. For me, it really comes down to intent. So um, we know that certain um, certain abortion, um, certain birth, birth control pills um, can possibly cause um, implantation to not take place. So it is actively killing a fertilized egg um, because it causes the uterine lining to thin and then the egg can't implant. That's an unfortunate side effect to the hormone that has to be put into birth control pills in order for them to work properly. It is not the intention of a birth control pill to cause that to happen. It is sadly an unfortunate side effect that can happen. And it doesn't happen a lot of the time. You know, you watch those, um, those shows on like TLC where they talk about how they didn't know they were pregnant until like they're giving birth and they're like, Oh, I'm pregnant. And they've taken birth control pills throughout all nine months of pregnancy and it didn't do anything. Um, it's something that can happen, but overwhelmingly doesn't happen. And that's why I support women having access to birth control pills. Um, I feel the exact same way about the morning after pill. Um, whenever plan B was first put on the market, um, it did overwhelmingly have that side effect. Um, and it was actually causing a lot of health problems for women because of that side effect not being taken into consideration. They pulled it from the shelves. The plan B that is in like every emergency room in cases of rape that they offer to women, the over-the-counter that you can get at any pharmacy um, is just like the birth control pill. It can cause implantation to not take place, but overwhelmingly the purpose of it is to prevent pregnancy from even be like preventing sperm from meeting egg. Um, so I support women having access to the morning after pill, especially in cases of rape and unfortunate situations like that. If a woman goes into an emergency room, she has her rape kit done and a doctor offers her like, hey, we're just going to try to make sure that you don't get pregnant from this because this is a horrible, horrible thing that you've been through. We don't want to compact that trauma. Um, I do believe that they should have access to that. Um, as far as like regulating herbs that can cause early miscarriage and such, um, I think that it's a very, very unproductive use of government time and resources. Um, whenever you're, whenever pro-lifers start talking about like, oh, we need to make sure that women can't get access to everyday herbs that you could grow in a home garden. Like I have an herb that grows in my garden in my backyard that could potentially cause miscarriage if I ingested it while I was pregnant. Um, I think that that really delves into a level of control that the pro-life movement shouldn't want to associate with. That's more on um, the abolitionist side of wanting to, you know, wanting to investigate miscarriages whenever women miscarry to make sure that they didn't accident, like they didn't intentionally cause an abortion. The, the goal of pro-life activism is we want to make abortion an unthinkable thing. We want to change the fabric of society that has normalized this so much to the point where, you know, girls are going on TikTok and celebrating the fact that they're having abortions. We want to completely flip 
the culture on its head and be like, we're going to give women and girls every ounce of support that they could possibly need whenever faced with an unplanned pregnancy. We're going to be there for them physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, if need be, so that they don't feel like they need to have an abortion. And then over the years and over the decades, we're going to see a cultural shift to where women aren't looking to, abortion isn't even popping into their heads whenever they are faced with an unplanned pregnancy because they feel like they're able to continue to live their lives without taking the life of another human being. It's not about control. It's not about trying to prevent women from having access to contraceptives or emergency contraceptives or allowing them to have access to specific herbs. Um, we're just trying to save as much life as we possibly can and create a culture that truly values human beings and human life as a whole. That was powerful. That is awesome. Um, yeah, and I will, I will get um, attacked in certain ways when I say things like, I'm pro-life, but I'm not necessarily like, I'm not, I don't, I don't necessarily want to make it abortion like a criminal, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I, don't, Absolutely. I don't want to lock up mothers. I don't want to lock up, or, you know, women that do those things. Like I, like you said, it has to be a cultural shift because we exactly. will make abortion obsolete. There's not going to be a reason for it. If there's like, if there's a support for these mothers, for these mothers that are having like an unplanned pregnancy. Yeah. And we have the stats right here. Like we have it right here in front of us. There have been studies done multiple times over multiple decades. Like why do women get abortions? Like, okay, financially. Okay. Well, let's, let's support women financially. They're, they don't need abortions anymore. Like they feel like they're not going to be able to get an education. Okay. We'll make education more accessible to people that are facing unplanned pregnancies and even people that already have kids. Like if you, if you get pregnant unexpectedly as a teenager, you should be able to finish high school and go through college without having this extreme burden on you. That's what causes us to see as a society to see pregnancy as a burden because society is not in any way set up to help people that get pregnant in less than ideal situations. So we have the statistics like right here in front of us as to why abortions are happening. And for so long, the pro-life movement is just sitting on this information and not doing anything with it. It's like we, we have the information to lower the abortion rate. Why are we not doing anything about lowering the abortion rate? And this is something that kind of propelled me more to the left in my pro-life activism because it was like beating my head up against a brick wall. It always came back down to like, well, I don't know, that sounds like socialism. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't care if it sounds like socialism to you. Like I want these people to be taken care of. Women should not be absolutely terrified that they're going to be living on the streets under a bridge with no way to feed themselves, no way to take care of their babies because they got pregnant in very, very unideal circumstances. These are women that are in abusive homes or in domestic violence situations or just in not fi good financial situations. They're young, they're unemployed, or their employer is not going to offer them any sort of help. They're worried that they're going to lose their jobs. There are so many hurdles in society for people that face unplanned pregnancy. And unfortunately, overwhelmingly, since the conception of pro-life activism back in the 70s, we haven't seen any major changes on the pro-life side to try to combat these reasons why women are getting abortions. 
all of the effort so far has been on the legal aspect just make abortion illegal make it illegal make it illegal change people's minds but also like make it illegal we and i do believe that we should not be the government shouldn't be saying that it's okay to kill unborn humans but there are so many other things that we can be doing on a social level on a cultural level in our local communities nationwide to stop abortions from happening well, see the reason why i think it has to be outside of the government scope the government like you're a libertarian, so I know you understand this argument that the government government is the gun in the room, right? And we're all wrestling over it. And government is the oh, – what's the uh, – god dang it. What, what did fucking libertarians say? And they're, they're absolutely correct um, that they are the monopoly on the legitimate use of force, right? And so mm-hmm. a government is so fucking sloppy and so – uh, just cut and dry. So if if you're just making this a legal issue, then you're just you're just creating this whole like uh, bureaucracy where then you need to have like an enforcement agency, and you have to have, and then you you have to punish these people. Like every single law that is passed is has to be inherently enforced through the barrel of a gun. Otherwise, it's not a law. Otherwise, it's it, exactly. otherwise it's just like a suggestion, you know. And so yeah. the problem is that with these type of laws that make things illegal, it all it does is it just well again it just criminalizes people instead of actually uh, trying to affect change. Like it's the same thing with like drugs, you know. Like if you make when we made drugs illegal, what are we doing? Like, so there's a guy with a needle in his arm. He's already having a shitty fucking day. Like, do we need to point a gun at him and put him in a cage? Like, what are the fundamental reasons? Yeah, why is he using that drug? You know, like. And that is why, like, you see whenever pro-life bills are brought forward, whenever a state brings a pro-life bill forward, the first thing that overwhelming amount of pro-lifers do, they go and read it and they look for that clause that says that women are women are protected from this, that we're not going to, you're not going to see women being arrested. You're not going to see women even go under investigation. You're not going to see them like where with the Texas um, new abortion law, because it was, uh, it's not, you know, you're throwing people in jail. It's more of a civil lawsuit type thing. Protections to make sure that women aren't being sued. You know, even just like a financial thing, as simple as being sued for getting an abortion, women need to be protected protected from that and that's why whenever i think it was back in like the 80s you saw kind of a split between pro-life activism and what they refer to themselves as abolitionists and abolitionists are fully on board with not only should we be criminalizing abortion on a national scale like women need to be women need to be held to the full extent of the law they need to be charged with at the least homicide um, at the most murder, which in states like Texas, they, that means that a woman would be put to death if she procured an abortion. Um, and they believe that in some futuristic ideology as medical technology advances, that we should start investigating women who have miscarriages to make sure that they did not self-abort. Well, those are and that the is same something. psychopaths that are so pro-life that they will bomb an abortion clinic. 
Exactly. Exactly. It's very, very, it's a very radicalized ideology that has come out of like what I talked about earlier. Whenever you see a level of callousness from people that are on the abortion side, it does make you incredibly callous and start to see these people as the enemy. You start to see post-abortive women and women that want to get abortions as the enemy. And it has bred this entire movement of incredibly radicalized, overwhelmingly men. Um, But there are plenty of women abolitionists as well. very, very heavily religious, um, pushing these ideas that unfortunately always blow back onto pro-life activism. I'm having to correct people all the time. Like they're not, those are not pro-lifers. Those are abolitionists. And there is a very, very huge difference and we hate them as much as you hate them. Yeah. And I mean, to me, the fact that these people see no contradiction like to me that that's why i'm a libertarian i like things need to make sense to me in my head and um and if i'm conflicted with something if like you know whatever these people will simultaneously tell you and you mentioned this earlier which i thought was funny i I make memes to tease them a lot uh because i'm a jerk uh but the the fact that these right-wingers will be will call themselves pro-life and then support war and then support the death penalty. And I'm like, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> In the whole, like, uh, whenever, the most common thing that you get from abortion supporters is like, well, how many kids have you adopted? Like, or do you know how many kids are rotting in the foster care system? And I would see so much, like, do you support puppy meal- mills? Like, if you if you are against puppy mills, like, did you adopt all of the puppies? I'm like, okay, um, I understand the argument. But maybe we should be putting more resources into like adoption reform and foster care reform, or at least like dedicating more of our time to talking about those issues as they are directly related to why women get abortions. And I saw people just combating the idea that to be pro-life, you need to be more than just saying that you're against abortion. Like you really do need to be putting more action behind the idea of being pro-life and i never got any pushback from any but any other pro-lifers besides right-leaning pro-lifers that are like oh no to be pro-life means that you oppose abortion and you don't need to have any other credentials beyond that to say that you're pro-life to me those are the fake no like to me those are those (laughs) are the ones that are there for politics those are the ones that are playing those are the ones that are playing politics so um you and I talked a little bit on Twitter and um, and one of the things that I was going to bring up is like, to me, I see a very clear line of like, it's not necessarily like, it's not even, it's not Democrats or the left. It's really, it's to me, it's the psychopaths that are in charge. It's like the elites that, that see the human population and they say that we are overpopulated and in lots of different ways, they like to de- they like to depopulate us. I mean, they try to feed us junk food all the time, and a lot of their mm-hmm. medicines are just band aids and not cures. They sell us, you know. And to me, mm-hmm. a lot of this uh, abortion, to me, you can you can trace back the lineage of Planned Parenthood to like someone like Margaret Sanger who was an avowed eugenicist, and like I see a lot of like why why is it that so many Planned Parenthoods are in the hood. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I see yeah. it and like a through and through racist, like white woke, like th- there's this whole, like the whole thing is like, 
when I'm talking about the white woke elite or whatever, they don't even believe it themselves. These are people that are selling this ideology to, and, um, and to me, I still see them as like, as much as they'll try to say they're anti-racist, so much of the things that they do are fully aggressively racist. Oh, for sure. And like, we pushed this so hard for so many years. Like this was a popular pro-life talking point back whenever I started all the way back in 2014 and abortion supporters and even all the way up to like NARAL and Planned Parenthood representatives would deny to the moon and back that Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist, that she was racist and so on and so forth up until 20 was it 2020 i think it was last year where planned parenthood finally officially came forward and announced that they were renouncing margaret sanger for her racism for her eugenics and all of this stuff it's like we've been we've been hammering Mm -hmm. this for so long that the origins of your organization are incredibly racist are incredibly ableist and it took you all of this time to finally own up to it and like yeah they disavowed margaret sanger but their co-founder i'm trying to remember what his name was but he was a clan member like he was part of the kkk and like he is overwhelmingly not mentioned because number one he's a man and number two he was an actual clansman he hated black people and wanted to eradicate them this is the origin Mm -hmm. of the abortion industrial complex and that's actually how the the birth control movement actually started and i'm a supporter of birth control um i think that we need to have better options of it for both men and women and i think that women need to be given informed consent on what the possible side effects are from birth control but i think that whenever it comes to the conversation about racism and ableism in abortion um not only our Planned Parenthood's origins deeply rooted in racism and ableism. We're still seeing that today. I mean, in Iceland, almost 100% of babies that are diagnosed with Down syndrome in utero are yeah, 100%. And they claim 100%. that they've eradicated Down syndrome, but what they're really doing is they're just killing humans that have Down syndrome before they're yeah. born and saying that they eradicated Down syndrome. Abortion is at its core, incredibly ableist. 100%. I mean, this all is, it's a its a thorough, you can see the line from the eugenicists. And I mean, these are the same people that like championed, like uh, putting the Native Americans in these like re-education camps. Let's turn these, let's turn these savages into good white people, you know, and mm-hmm, let's exactly. sterilize all the women. Let's take away mm-hmm. their native languages Let's, you know, like, and then in Canada, you find all the, like these schools, all these like state run and like church run schools up there with just countless dead kids. I know it's so incredibly heartbreaking, but it's why it's so important to have this conversation. And as much like as much pushback as we've been getting over these last couple of weeks, as much people want to, you know, like Sam Cedar with his millions of followers on Majority Report, you know, called us the nightmare blunt rotation and made fun of us on his segment for 30 good minutes. Like they are very, very obviously intimidated by pro-lifers. like infiltrating the progressive space. But the reality is that abortion at its core goes against every progressive value that the Democratic Party and progressives as a whole claim to stand for. If you want to be pro-equality, if you want to fight things like racism and ableism, take a look at what happens in abortions. Take a look at how many Black and Latino babies are killed in utero. 
take a look at how many babies survive being in the uterus after they've give, been giving a less than ideal health diagnosis, whether it be mental or physical. You know, these are these are very, very serious issues that progressives claim to care so deeply about. They care to be anti-racist. They care, they claim to be, you know, in support of the disabled community until it comes to abortion. Yeah. And then they don't want to touch it and they want to deny that it's happening, but it very much is happening. It's happening at alarming rates. Well, I was going to say, like, this is, like, to play a little bit of a devil's advocate to you, though, like, what I think a lot of this is just basically bureaucracy replicating itself. So at some point in time, like, this is, like, I think there's some people truly believe that we're overpopulated. I don't think we are, but I think that this was their solution to that, and now we just got these legacy institutions, and that is just the nature of government, the people have jobs invested and that's what they well, do. Well, I find it fascinating, Tony, that like you have Bill Gates, a big proponent of of human overpopulation. His dad used to run Planned Parenthood. Like to me, I do, I I see this as like you can look and you can see the clear lines. Like there is still a eugenicist there's still a huge eugenicist like uh through and through line with this stuff. Like um I I don't I, I don't know. What do you think, Kay? I mean, yeah, I think that whenever it comes to the abortion industrial complex, you're looking at decades upon decades worth of clear lines being crossed and a deep-rooted corruption between these people that are very, very well known in the media, like Bill Gates. And like, okay, so his dad ran Planned Parenthood, and then he makes a name for himself with Microsoft, gets garners a huge amount of attention, and then uses his platform to push the idea of popularity control whenever his father previously ran Planned Parenthood. Like, it's just, it goes back to the, it's part of the same vicious cycle of having politicians that are po- lining their pockets with the money that Planned Parenthood is raking in yeah. um, with abortion. And you'll be pushing, uh, you know, birth control and abortions all over Africa and the and third world countries and South America and, and all those fun things, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's really, really sad. Rich, elite, white, yes. psychopathic, eugenicist racists that want yep. to murder us all and or control us. Exactly, exactly. And it's really, really sad because people will bring up third world countries whenever talking about not having access to abortion and what happens in these very, very impoverished countries whenever women don't have access to abortion. Like, have we ever considered, like, maybe their biggest issue is not having access to killing their children, but like, it's like not having access to like, food or like clean drinking water, or that their government is super, super oppressive, or the fact that like, rape is it can even like considered illegal there and women are being like raped and assaulted at alarming rates like maybe abortion access isn't like their biggest issue and what people will also not look at is like let's turn back the clock 50 75 100 years uh what happened to this country why is it impoverished why is it poor mm-hmm. is it because an elite group of rich psychopaths came in there and like set up their governments and, or like then like claimed property rights over all of the natural resources of the country. And then uh, basically made like slave states of like the entire country. And so now they're completely impoverished and now they have all of these problems. Like 
these are these are fun topics that like libertarians don't want to talk about because most libertarians are so pro business and pro like private industry. And I'm like, okay, but when a private industry is like working with a government and they're doing like atrocious things to people, like they're no longer a private entity and they need to be opposed vehemently, like tooth and nail, as much as the state. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree. I think that uh, that was part of a level of disappointment that I had with libertarians. It was like privatization and the private business over everything, even other human beings, like the private business, the private business and the private sector and privatize everything, even at the expense of actually saving human lives and helping individual human beings. Yeah, well, that's the whole short sighted aspect of it like i am radical about privatization but like what you're doing i think should be a private like i don't think that like what you guys are doing should have much to do with the government like you guys are creating something awesome and new and something like i think that you guys should be able to like probably privately gather a bunch of donations i hope people listen to this and go like this shit is awesome i'm gonna give like dude Everybody listening to this, give these people – can you afford five bucks? Can you give them five bucks a month? Like do you have a Patreon set up, Kay? Do you guys have a – or do you guys have a way uh, to There is these? a donate link on our very, very new website. It's pretty easy to find because there's not a lot on the yeah. website right now. It is going to be developed and redeveloped over time as we get more established. Um, but um, – I mean, if people want to donate to our new organization, that's great. Um, most of donations are going to be going to like helping get us set up and getting us going. Um, as a pro-life activist, even though this is an organization that I volunteer with and I wholeheartedly support and I love being involved with, um, the money, whenever I tell people to donate, I suggest donating to organizations uh, like Let Them Live. Um, amazing, incredible pro-life organization that um, crowdfunds for women that are considering abortion um, so that they can help them get out of the situation that is pushing them to get the abortion, whether it be financial, whether they be See, in... See, to me, that's uh, the perfect like, version of privatization. That that exists. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fucking amazing. That, to me, that is... Like, so many people get caught up in what what is the free market. To me, that is a free market solution. That is a free market answer. I've never heard of Let Them Live, but that's awesome. Yeah, they do incredible work, and they've helped so many women. Um, and they, like, they, they stand outside of abortion clinics, and they just talk to these women and be like... Why are you here today? You know, what is there something that I can do to help you so that you don't feel like you have to go into this abortion clinic today? And overwhelmingly, they're able to crowdfund enough money to allow that woman to not have an abortion, to have her baby and feel secure enough to have her baby, knowing that there is an entire movement of people behind her to support her in any way that she needs to. And I, this is why I think that progressives would be so incredibly awesome in this space if we could just pull them to our side and making them understand the humanity of unborn people and that they need to be protected. And because you know, progressives do this they do great with this they really do like whenever it comes to being pro humanity whenever there's a whenever there's a situation it's like we need to get this person some help progressives are so great about that but unfortunately the progressive platform has left out unborn human beings from its conception so how do we convince and, people that abortion is racist how do we talk to the progressives and say like look i 
what like what would this country look like realistically if abortion had never been if, had, if, had abortion never become a legal thing here i think this country would probably be like a third black like the genocide yeah, that be. we've seen with in the black community is just devastating and awful and we wonder why the native americans are like such a small part of the population for decades we sterilized them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we did that to we did that to disabled yeah. people we did that to black people and margaret sanger and other people that were involved with planned parenthood before it was planned parenthood were active parts of that and I think whenever talking to progressives about abortion and trying to convince them, um, the biggest thing that I've noticed isn't by correcting their talking points and making them see that their talking points apply to abortion as well. Um, A big thing with left-leaning people is empathy. And unfortunately, there are so many people in the pro-life movement that struggle with this. Um, But it is a really, really big thing. Um, I've actually had multiple left-leaning Twitch streamers come to me and say like, hey, I have a friend that was talking about you the other day because she watched one of your debates on abortion and now identifies as pro-life because you talked about specifically that you understand the hardships that come with pregnancy in general, not to mention unplanned pregnancy. And you understand the incredibly difficult situations that a lot of these people are in whenever they have abortions. And you empathize with them and you don't see them as horrible Mm -hmm. people and you want to help them. You genuinely want to help them get out of that situation and create an entire society to where they can always have access to that help and people do not feel the need to go to the abortion clinic. Yeah, I think empathy is so crucial to get through any kind of um, political obstacles or not even political, but philosophical um, differences you can't even begin to have the conversation before you see someone as a human. Yeah. Well, and like, that's the, that's the thing. And that's why the abortion industry has tried so hard to paint this narrative of what pro-life activists are. Um, Because if you can push the narrative that pro-life activists are just all a bunch of old religious white men, they want to control women's bodies. They want to enforce their religious ideology on you. um, Then you shut down the conversation from ever happening because people don't want to talk to you. I actually had to enter this space kind of incognito. Um, People didn't know that I was pro-life whenever I first entered this incredibly progressive space. And then as I got involved in conversations and panels that were talking about abortion and people started to realize that I was pro-life, I already kind of had that in. People knew who I was. They knew what I stood for. And they were confronted with the fact that I don't fit that mold. And so I was able to have that. I was able to get my foot in the door and have that conversation. Like I empathize so much with people that face unplanned pregnancy. I empathize so much with people that are in abusive homes or domestic violence situations or struggling financially can't even put the food on the table for their children that they already have birthed you know people are in incredibly tough situations most of the time women are not just walking into an abortion clinic one day and just like i decided that i want to have an abortion these women are going through incredibly hard circumstances and that's something that too many people in pro-life activism seem to forget whenever discussing abortion like these women are equally human equally valuable and equally in need of our help that's awesome that was great Kay. um we're rounding out almost on an hour and a half now um do you have any last minute stuff you want to plug or any people that you any websites any like uh links anything that you want people to know see 
Yeah, absolutely. You guys should absolutely um, follow POW. It's P-A-A-U. Um, we're on social media as POW now. Um, you know, we are brand new. There's not a whole lot of stuff on our social media, but make sure you follow us and watch us hopefully grow. Um, we're hoping to do really, really big things in pro-life activism, progressive activism, and really just cultural and societal activism and creating a culture of that values human beings, values human lives, and wants to create an entire society that is protective of humanity as a whole. Um, and I absolutely suggest that everybody go and follow and support Let Them Live. They do absolutely amazing and incredible work. I just saw today as I was scrolling through social media that uh, someone that they talked to over the weekend, uh, she walked away from her. She didn't go to her abortion appointment this past weekend. They were able to get her out of the situation that she was in um, with an abusive partner. And she's all set up and we're getting a baby registry going to make sure that she has all the stuff that she needs for her her new one in um in about six months. So oh. definitely follow them because their work is it's life changing. It's you changing know, lives it every single day. One, it was all worth it. Exactly, oh, exactly. That's beautiful. Even if we just saved one. Uh, you know, a lot of times on this podcast we talk about heavy stuff, and so a lot of it's black pilling. Uh, this is nice and white pilling and uh this was, <laughs> this was a lot of fun um thank you very much Kay. um we'd love to have you back on again at some other point and we can talk about your uh, when this starts getting moving and and uh yeah thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me on this was an incredible conversation i enjoyed it so much all right thank, thank you, you.